You're listening to a parish podcast, a reimagined faith community. I once met a man who didn't believe in God, and he struggled that I did. He struggled because we got along really well, and we would have big conversations about important ideas, but he just couldn't fathom how I could believe in something so ridiculous as an invisible friend in the sky, as he would say. One time when we were having coffee, he asked me a serious question. He said, Aaron, do you pray? I said, I do, quite regularly. He shook his head in disbelief. I could sense his disappointment. I told him that prayer was a big idea and that it can look like a lot of different things. I was interested as to what he thought prayer was. See, I've learned over the years to be more curious as to how others have formed their beliefs instead of just knowing what they believe. You see, my friend's disbelief in God and all things related had a story behind it, and I didn't really know what it was. So I told him that in its simplest form, prayer for me is about communion with the presence and the essence of the loving spirit behind it all, God. And because it's so intimate, it can look like a lot of different things for a lot of different people. I said, at times, it looks like lamenting when life is hard. It can sound like gratitude when life is good. It can sound like advocacy over injustice. It can be about finding strength or searching for peace or purpose. It can just be about all of those things. Now, the the puzzled look on his face made me realize that this wasn't part of his experience. So I asked him what he thought prayer looked like. Without hesitation, he said slacktivism. Slacktivism. And with that one word, I had a good idea of what had shaped his belief. Slacktivism is a term that is used for people who give the appearance that they care and are doing something, but it doesn't move beyond well wishes or internet posts. I knew what was coming. You see, just weeks earlier, there had been yet another school shooting in the United States, and the internet was filled with thoughts and prayers. He asked me how thoughts and prayers are making a safer world, how thoughts and prayers are alleviating the pressures on our climate and environment every time a natural disaster occurs. He said, it just feels like a cop-out to me. Let's just ask God to fix all the pain that we're causing in their ignorance and make no changes to policies, no dent in poverty, no more access to mental health, no helping the environment. And he was just getting started. At this point, he was just ranting, and it was clear how frustrated he was. I didn't interrupt. I let him finish. Because you know what? I I didn't entirely disagree. Before I responded to my friend, I wanted to be clear as to what he was really saying. I was listening hard. I didn't want to feel defensive because I didn't want this to be an argument where somebody wins and somebody loses. I wanted a discussion filled with honesty and clarification. See, if problems are going to be fixed in this world, he said to me, we're the ones who are going to have to do it. Thoughts and prayers have done nothing to change the violence and suffering in the world. That was a big statement. I looked at him and I said, what if I told you I agree with you? He was puzzled. He said, do you pray in difficult times? I said, more so. He said, but why? 
If you agree with me, why? See, my friend was a humanist. He told me so. Humanism is a system of thought that believes that human agency and not divine intervention is what will create a better world. So I looked at my friend and I said, what if I told you that I don't totally disagree with everything you've just said? And he said, then I'd tell you you're clearly confused. <laughs> I said, I'm not confused. I think I'm just misunderstood. You see, I agreed with his frustration that when we experience suffering and difficulty largely at the hands of our own doing, it, doesn't, it does seem troubling that we just brush it off as something that God will just have to fix. And it kind of lets us off the hook, doesn't it? So we offer thoughts and prayers and nothing ever changes. Now, I've been guilty. I'm sure you can relate to the temptation when a friend tells us of their unbelievably complicated and difficult life situation. It just rolls off our tongue, doesn't it? We tell them, you know, I'll be, I'll be praying for you. They usually thank us for that because it does sound caring. But many times we don't pray. And some, sometimes we do, for sure, but many times we don't. And even more to the point, what if prayer is more than merely reminding God of his obligations to his creation in need? What if prayer was also about asking God what our obligations are? So I told my friend that he might be surprised to know that I think I pray like a humanist. He was really puzzled. I told him that I agreed that the healing of our world will come through human agency by people deciding to do better, trying harder, letting go of greed and prejudice and fear and anger and choosing peace and forgiveness and taking the harder path forward. But I said, here's where we differ. I believe that the strength to do that, the desire to do that, is divine. The wisdom to know how to respond is a spiritual discipline. I think that as humans, we can do great things, but that ego and pride and greed often get in the way. And I need to get out of my own head and trust in a higher way. And prayer is what does that for me. It lays my heart's desires before a higher power so they can be refined, exposed, redeemed. Because sometimes I don't trust my own feelings. But to be clear, I've learned that when I pray, I don't just ask God to fix what is broken. I ask God what my role in the fixing could be. And I try and act on what I feel the Spirit of God is saying to me, even if it will cost me, even if it challenges me, even if it's hard. My friend looked at me silent. I was just waiting for him to reload. Finally, he spoke. He said, I think I can get behind that. I was shocked. <laughs> I told him he should start praying. That maybe he could accomplish twice as much with some divine guidance and clarity. He said, how did you come to this thinking? I said, I think it's how Jesus taught us to pray. You see, I didn't always think this way, nor did I always read Jesus this way. Sometimes we only read what we're looking for. We only find what we're looking for, sorry, and none of what we need to hear. But if we really listen to Jesus, I think we may be surprised how much he actually has to say. Merely asking God to fix everything just leaves us in a position of spectator. Unless we have a clear conviction of something we're to do, it's just so much easier to say a quick prayer to God of how terrible we are to each other and ask Him just to do something about it. When the needs of this world are just too big, we often just become paralyzed. And prayer just becomes the last thing we do. But what if prayer was the first thing we did? 
And acting on what we feel from that communion with God was the last thing we did. Prayer isn't about letting us off the hook. What if instead of being reporters conveying bad news to the heavens and hoping that God will quickly redeem all things, what if we considered ourselves partners with God in the redemption of all things? As a friend used to say, what if we are the uniform that God puts on every day when he goes to work? Two times in the gospel biographies of Jesus, we read the disciples asking him to teach them to pray. It's the same encounter, told two different ways. Matthew records it in a very detailed version of Jesus' response and what we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. But Luke records the same interaction, but spends less time on the specifics of the prayer and more time bookending it with an intriguing story that Jesus tells after. Let me read how Luke's story in this encounter unfolds in chapter 11. One day, Jesus was praying in a specific place. And when he was done, one of his disciples, seeing this, asked him, Teach us. Teach us to pray like this. John teaches his disciples, You, Jesus, teach us. And so Jesus says, Okay. And this is what he says, Father, let your name be held sacred. Let your kingdom come. Give us each day our bread for the day ahead. Forgive us of our transgressions, for we also have forgiven those who've wronged us and lead us away from trouble, and deliver us from evil. And without skipping a beat, he continues with this story. Among you, what man would have a friend? And would come to him in the middle of the night, saying, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, since a friend of mine has visited me from out of town, and I have nothing I can set before him. The one inside would say in response, Do not present me with difficulties, for the door is closed. My children and I are asleep. We're in bed. We cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus says, even if he will not rise and give it to him because of friendship, on account of his persistence, his boldness, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I tell you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Which of you fathers, if your child asks for a fish, would give him a snake? Or if they ask for an egg, would give them a scorpion. See, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. I just want to highlight a couple of things that stand out to me. And they stand out because I'm looking. Both versions of this Lord's Prayer in Scripture implicate the one praying. In both the participation of making earth as it is in heaven and in the forgiving of others as we seek God to forgive us. This prayer is not about slacktivism. This prayer is not about abdicating our responsibilities to God. Jesus says that we ask God to forgive our shortcomings because we're doing the very same thing with others in our life. That's why we can be confident that God will forgive. Jesus teaches the disciples to pray that God's will can be done here on earth as it is everywhere else in the universe. Who's doing this will of God? Well, that's what it means to follow Jesus. It is to do the will of love. It is to make known the world and ways of God's divine reality. We're not asking God to do something that we're not prepared to do. We ask for our daily bread because as Jesus will tell his disciples in that story, we would offer our daily bread to another if they truly needed it more than us. This story that Jesus tells after the prayer is so intriguing. 
Which of you, he says to the disciples, would have a friend that would come in the middle of the night, waking you up, asking you to feed or to give them bread so they can feed a friend from out of town? Which of you would not do something if you could? And if you had the means to do something, it's not just because of your friendship, but the boldness of your friend would cause you to get up and help any way you can, even though you didn't want to. So this is a parable or an analogy about God. Who's God in this story? Is God supposed to be the homeowner who doesn't want to be awake, doesn't want to help? I don't think so. Is God the friend in need? What's Jesus getting at in this story? What if the story isn't about God? What if the story is about us? He tells a story about a bold friend in desperate need who boldly goes out and wakes a friend. Jesus then says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will discover. Knock and the door will be open to you. What's this about? That's just the summary of the previous story. It's about how we interact with each other and are compelled to help. Listen, you are capable of good things, Jesus said, even though you're not God, he's implying. As parents, if you ask, if your child asks for a fish, you wouldn't give them a snake. If they ask for an egg, you wouldn't give them a scorpion. If you then, who are not perfect by far, know how to do good things for your children, how much more will the God of the universe offer you his very presence for those who ask for it. So finally, it's clearly about God again. But just as clear is the idea that we as humans are capable of good things. In fact, we are capable of meeting the needs of each other, not just our children, but those who boldly come in the middle of the night. God will always give us his presence to empower the one being bold, to awaken the heart of the one who sleeps in apathy. I think that's what it's about. It's Luke's telling of this story and this peculiar ending that started me examining the whole prayer backwards. Jesus says that even though you're not perfect, you know how to do good things for your children. How much more so will the God of heaven give you everything you ask for? That's not actually what he says. He doesn't say that. He says, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. You know how to give good gifts to others. And God will give you his spirit to all who ask him. And why do we want his spirit? Because it's his spirit that guides us. It's his spirit that speaks to us and through us. Jesus' instructions, I think, to the disciples are clear. Ask, seek, knock on all the doors. I grew up thinking that this verse was in reference to us asking, seeking, and knocking on heaven's door. The context, while it may include that idea, is more clearly connected to us boldly asking of each other and seeking what we need from each other and knocking on earthly doors. Why? Because that's how God answers our prayers. Why didn't Jesus tell a story about a friend who didn't have bread and just prayed that God would provide, and then waited for three loaves to appear in the oven, or at the front door? Because God answers our prayers through each other. My point in all of this, I think Jesus is helping us realize that maybe we are how God answers prayer. Maybe we are the uniform God puts on when he goes to work every day. Eight years ago, my son was struggling with his health. Specifically, he was struggling with swallowing. And he had lost over a series of months, almost half a year, a lot of weight. And we were very concerned for his health. We'd spent many trips to emerge and and were trying to find um, someone that could help him, who could understand what was going on. Many Sundays, I would stand in front of this congregation and ask you all to pray for Dakota because he had some health issues. 
And I know many of you did, because you'd often ask about it if we bumped into each other throughout the week. And you could also see that he just was not well. But after almost a year, one Sunday morning, I remember getting ready for church, and I asked Dakota if I could share with the parish a little bit more of his struggle, if I could let them in. It was would have been brave for Dakota to say yes, bold even, and he said sure. That Sunday, I got up and I shared Dakota's struggle with swallowing and how we felt helpless, he felt helpless. I had never been that explicit before in sharing something so personal about my son. I didn't know it at the time, but I was asking, I was knocking, I was seeking all the ways that God could answer our prayer for our son. When the service was over, someone came up to me and said, Hey, listen, thanks for sharing that about Dakota. I know somebody. I have a name of a specialist that I know really well. She lives in London, but um, she's back in in Peterborough. Um, She's a speech-language pathologist, and she might have some ideas. They gave me her cell number. That referral led to the beginning of a series of breakthroughs that have led to the discovery of an anxiety disorder and treatment. Did God answer our prayers? Absolutely. Through the hands of doctors, friends, pathologists, psychologists, family, and you. Ask Dakota, he'll tell you. Ask, seek, knock. And perhaps if we prayed like a humanist, we would understand it better. Instead of just saying, God, I'm broken. I need a miracle. Fix me. What if it was, God, what's my role in my wholeness? Who can I bravely ask for help? Who can I let in? What avenues could I seek? What doors should I knock on? Likewise, if you have more than you need, maybe your prayer is, God, who can I help? What can I do? I find it very interesting how many times someone has come to me and said, I have more than I need. Do you know anyone who has less than they need? And there's always a match. And the timing is often uncanny. And I'm not just referring to money, but time, resources, love, friendship. You know, one city has determined that many people this winter will be out in the cold. And we can pray to God to help them and earnestly do so, asking God to provide a warm place and clothes for them. Our prayer could be, God, what's my role in the helping of those who have nothing? The low-hanging fruit is bring some socks and gloves and some jackets and boots. We can do this. We can be the answer to this prayer. You see, prayer is not just about asking God to act. It's about asking God to act through us. It isn't just about asking God to do something. It's about asking God to do something through us. It isn't just praying for the redemption of the world. It's asking what our part in that redemption could be. And imagine if we considered that talking to God is more than reminding him of his obligations, but that listening might also inspire us of ours. So may you be challenged and inspired that God's good world that is breaking through may come through your lips and your hands.